I will not boast in anything, (laughs) no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection. Church, we have nothing else by which to stand on except that which Christ has done for us. And so it's upon that wave of the Spirit as we worship that I want to dive in uh, this morning. Through this month, we're talking through the discipleship process at First Baptist Church. What it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. How that fits into our lives and where we're at in the ladder. And taking that next step. Last week, we talked about knowing God. FBC exists to lead people to know God and to make God known. The first thing that we must have if we are ever to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is life in Him. And that requires a knowledge, not a knowledge of just who God is, but a knowledge of God and intimacy with Him. So last week we talked about salvation and baptism, how those are the first steps as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I challenged you that if you didn't know Him, that you come into relationship with Him, and that invitation is open far beyond the end of a service. And also that you be baptized. Baptized correctly. Not that there's some kind of systematic thing to baptism. Baptism isn't saving in and of itself, but rather it is a profession of what God has done in our life. And so, therefore, when we get saved, the first step to follow Him in obedience is to be baptized, to lay claim to that relationship. And then also to lay claim to covenant with our brothers and sisters. So the first step is to know God. And this morning we're going to talk about the second step. If you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ and have been baptized, then you come to this place. It's not enough just to know God and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But as we're going to talk about this morning, we must know His people. We must know His people, know God, and know His people. I'm obviously talking about the church, both local and universal. The church is something that I love dearly. I've grown up loving the church. I was a preacher's kid, and we were there every time that the doors were open, mainly because Dad was the one who opened the doors. And so... Every chance that I got, I was in the church. I grew up cutting my teeth on the back of pews. I grew up enjoying all of the sweet treats of all the old ladies in our church. I grew up, by the age of three or four, already knowing what a potluck dinner was. I grew up church. And i got to tell you, there is no institution in this world that I love greater than the local church. I love it so much that when God called me to ministry, that's just about all I wanted to do. I didn't care if I swept floors. I just wanted to be in the local church. And my prayer is that by the end of today, as we discover God's word for us, as we walk through what it means to know God's people, my prayer is that that same heart would come out in you. That this would be a place that we can't wait to get to, that these would be people that we can't wait to be around. John Calvin in his Institutes says this, Wherever we find the Word of God surely preached and heard, and the sacraments administered according to the institution of Christ, there, it is not to be doubted, is a church of God. This morning we're going to preach the Word Next week, on Sunday night, we're going to take the sacraments. We are indeed a church of the living God. But I would desire for us to start acting like a church of the living God. Not merely from this pulpit and not merely in the things that we do in ceremony, but rather in a way that we talk with one another, in a way that we love one another, in the way that we include ourselves into the work of the Lord. 
If you have your Bible, take and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I want to springboard from this piece of text today, and we will discuss further uh, text as we get along, but I want to go back to the origination of the church as we begin this morning. John Calvin was indeed right. Wherever we find the Word of God preached and the sacraments administered, there is a church, and we find that in Acts chapter 2. If you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, I want to begin in verse 42. Probably heard this text many times before. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 reads, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father God, may you find us in the future as we're not there right now. May you find us in a mirror image of Acts chapter 2. In these verses I've just read, that we would be devoted to the Word of God, devoted to fellowship and covenant, devoted to breaking of bread, and devoted to prayer. God, that we as a church would have all things in common. Teach us today, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. In looking at Acts chapter 2, A.W. Tozer said this in his book, Paths to Power. He said, the early church was not an organization merely, not a movement, but a walking incarnation of spiritual energy. The church began in power. It moved in power. And it moved just as long as she had power. When she no longer had the power, she dug in for safety and sought to conserve her gains. But her blessings were like the manna. When they tried to keep it overnight, it bred worms and stank. So we have had monasticism, scholasticism, institutionalism. And they have all been indicative of the same thing. Absence of spiritual power. In church history, every return to New Testament power has marked a new advance somewhere, and every diminution of power has seen the rise of some new mechanism for conservation and defense. If this analysis is reasonably correct, then we are today in a state of very low spiritual energy. You see, the church was not made just to meet. Here in Acts chapter 2, we find the markers of a church. First is they were devoted to teaching from the man of God who has spent time with God. They weren't devoted to teaching based on analytics and statistics. They weren't devoted to teaching based on philosophy. They weren't devoted to teaching based on opinion. No, they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles the men of God who had spent time with Jesus Christ himself. And church, a marker for us is we should be no different. Devoted to the teaching of the word of God by the man of God who has spent time with God. They were devoted to fellowship. They spent time together with one another. Not just in passing. Not just because they were in the market together. Not just because their kids were playing together, 
but they devoted themselves to making sure that they were together in all things. They devoted to fellowship. It says that even to the point that they met in the temple every day. Did you want to come to church every day? They met in the temple every day, and and beyond that, they would step out of the temple, and they would go and break bread together in each other's homes because they desired and devoted themselves to being together. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, not only physically, in in caring for one another, in hospitality. We had a great session on Sunday night a few weeks back about hospitality, about what it means to be hospitable to not only the stranger, but also to each other. Loving one another, putting each other first. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, but they were also devoted to the spiritual aspect of that. Breaking the bread of life together by way of the Word of God. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to reading of the Word, to spending time in it. And then, of course, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread ceremonially. They devoted themselves to the taking of the sacraments, to the Lord's Supper. And it marked them as a church. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. They devoted themselves to those things. They devoted themselves to prayer. Not only being infused into worship, but being prioritized in meetings. We find this all over the book of Acts. We find this as the apostles are in prison. And the people of God are praying. We find this in the persecution of the church. And they come together to pray. It wasn't just a mere act of worship. It was rather a lifeline that they could all gather around. They were devoted to giving. We know countless times from all of the churches that Paul had planted that they were giving people. We see several different stories in the book of Acts about giving. In Acts chapter 2, they sold their possessions and they gave to all as any had need. They devoted themselves to assembling. We got that one down, don't we? We show up for church, right? They devoted themselves to getting together for purpose of worship as they went to the temple daily. They devoted themselves to small groups. They devoted themselves to not only going to the temple, but then breaking off and going into each other's homes and spending time around the Word of God and around each other. The eighth marker is that they were joyful and genuine. With glad and sincere hearts. How many, how many times have you turned up at church with a not glad and a not sincere heart? Finally, one of the markers of the church was that they were mobile. They weren't stagnant. It says that they were praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I believe that one of the true markers of a church, one of the true markers of a church is an increase. And people coming to know the Lord. Because if we have nothing else, then we have failed our mission terribly to make disciples. Listen, we have got to get back to the business of being church, knowing his people, spending time with his people, doing stuff with his people, worshiping with his people. And not just on Sunday morning. Because we've been far too faithful in that too long. But rather gathering around the word of God in Sunday school. Gathering around the word of God on Sunday nights. Ministering to our children and our students on Wednesday nights. Diving in, being a part of God's people. That's the next step in the process. Is being a part of God's people. 
you know, we have this great urge to just add members. We think that for some reason, if we just increase our membership, things will go better. But I want to challenge you today. Rather than increasing our membership, let's have our members increase their participation. And then let's see what God does with it. You know, we're so anxious to add members, it reminds me of a story. There was a small town and three buildings in the town were being overrun by squirrels. The town hall, the hardware store, and the church. It's like the Mississippi Squirrel Revival, right? The town hall decided to bring in some cats. But after they tore up all of the files, the mayor got rid of those predators and soon the squirrels came back. The hardware store humanely trapped the squirrels and set them free outside of town. But just three days later, the squirrels came climbing back in. Only the church had come up with an effective solution to get rid of these squirrels. They baptized them, made them members, and now they only see them on Christmas and Easter. It's funny, but it's true. We've lost the art of what it means to be a part of the local church. For some reason, we've brought it down to a checkbox say I'm on a roll, I've been a couple times, I'm good. And the reality is, is that's not what it means to be part of a local body of believers. So I want to give you just a couple things today, a couple of first steps, maybe a couple of refresher steps for a few of you, of ways that we dive in to know God's people. To know God's people, because that is the next step in the discipleship process. The first one is small groups. Small groups. If you have your Bible, take and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. You see, from the springboard of Acts chapter 2, we would see Paul and many others that would go out and plant other churches. They would follow the ministry model that they had seen in Jesus Christ himself. I want you to remember back real quick to Jesus' ministry. Where was the effective discipleship done? Was effective discipleship done in the crowd of 5,000 on the hillside? No. He simply fed them. He taught the truths that God had given him. And we find a few chapters later that many of them had left. Did it happen with maybe those few that were left? As Jesus began to make his way back to Jerusalem and begin to say things like, The hour is coming that I will go and die, that I have not come to overthrow the government, but rather to overthrow sin. No, those. Smaller crowds would begin to diminish off. True discipleship happened inside the twelve. That's why we call them the disciples. You see, Jesus wasn't going to be able to disciple 5,000, but rather he focused in on 12. And said, I'm going to pour everything I am into these 12. And what we know is that Jesus indeed poured all he had into them. And they were a stubborn 12 that didn't get it at first. But my, how God would plant the church on the shoulders of those 12. Why? Because Jesus understood that a small group is important. Jesus understood that, listen, I'm going to invest in these 12. I'm going to spend time with these 12. I'm going to gather these 12 around me and we're going to go pray in the garden. I'm going to gather these 12 around me and I'm going to teach them the truths of Scripture. I'm going to gather these 12 around me and I'm going to say, listen, you will go. And out of this 12, I'm going to grab one and I'm going to say, on this rock, I will build my church. 
Jesus understood the importance of small groups. I think it'd be important for us to do that too. You see, we need each other. We need each other. Not all of the 12 disciples were exactly the same. They brought something very different to the table. And that's why the small group was so unique. And that's why it was so effective. Diversity is a beautiful thing, but it only comes out when we gather in small groups. You see, when we meet in here, I preach. Melissa leads worship. Our band plays. You sing and you listen and you respond. That is what we're called to do in this service. But in a small group, you are given the opportunity to share your unique perspective of God's truth. Not that they are theologically or doctrinally wrong, because if they are, as a church, we should call it out. But rather, that we are edifying each other, that we are growing one another, that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That can only happen in small groups. Vitally important. Vitally important for the growth of a church. Diversity is a beautiful thing and it's held in small groups. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me real quick. Verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, it'd be a funny looking thing, right? That's not what the scripture says. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. You are in First Baptist Church, Bristow, because he desired for you to be here to fulfill a part of the body. Not to sit on your rear and come every week to a Sunday morning lecture. He designed you and called you and placed you in that pew so that you would get out of it and be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? If they all sat in a pew, where would the body of As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. So that there would be no division in the body. But that the members would have the same concern for each other. That happens best in small groups. So if one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members are honored and rejoice with it. Happens best in small groups. Now you are the body of Christ. Verse 27. And individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church. First, the apostles. Second, the prophets. Third, the teachers. Next, miracles. Then, gifts of healing, helping, administrating. Various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in other tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But desire the greater gifts. And I will show you an even better way. 
what did Paul tell the church of Corinth that was there that was sick? Chapter 13, that we love one another. You see, small groups are the avenue by which we can fulfill our part of the body. William Adams Brown said the church exists to train its members through the practice of the presence of God to be servants of others to the end that Christ's likeness may become common property. Listen, you can learn a lot sitting in this sanctuary every Sunday morning. You can. You can worship your heart out sitting in this sanctuary every Sunday morning. But you will never grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ until you get plugged in to small groups. It's a level of accountability. It garners a level of trust. It gains a level of service. It goes into a level of maturity. Being part of a small group is one of the greatest things you could do in a church. If it worked for the church that added to their number daily, it should work for us. If you're not currently in a small group, I would encourage you, come be a part. We have aged, age-graded small groups for our children and our students. We have a few mixed adult classes with great teachers. We have a senior adult class with a great teacher. He paid me to say that, so I had to. You have opportunities on Sunday nights to be plugged into a women's Bible study that is very specific on the Word of God and how it relates to a woman's life. A men's Bible study that does the same, except towards a men's life. We have a pastor's class that meets and prays and discusses things at church. Wednesday nights, we have a Bible study that is geared towards leadership and and the church today, and we have a Bible study called Life Hacks where you can come and be a part of this group that we're discussing life together, what it means to parent, what it means to be a spouse. All growing in maturity towards Christ. Because small groups is where we get to do that. I can spoon feed you the Word of God every week. And in fact, you could probably even go home and feast on the Word of God all week long yourself. But until you take part in a small group where you have some individuals around you, where iron can sharpen iron, where we can invest in the lives of others, where we can love one another deeply, then you're missing out on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Plug into a small group. Next week, 9.45. Tonight, 6 o'clock. Wednesday night, 6.30. You make space in your life for everything else. Make space for this. It's important. Second thing I want to talk to you about this morning. Beyond small groups. Anybody can be a part of a small group. In fact... I would encourage that if you're here this morning and you are lost, don't know Jesus, maybe searching for answers, a small group is the place where you need to be. Christian, if you've just come into faith, or if maybe you're just still sipping on that milk and want to dive into the meat of God's word, I would encourage you to jump into a small group. Small groups are for everybody, but this second thing is only for a few. Knowing God's people not only puts us into small groups, but it draws us into church membership. A.W. Tozer said, 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization do not constitute a church. 
any more than 11 dead men make a football team. The first requisite is life, always. You see, to become a part of the local body of believers, to become a member of the church, you have to encounter saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's not as though we're trying to make it an exclusive club, but rather what we're doing is we're drawing into covenant with one another. And if you've never entered saving faith in Jesus Christ, you can't understand that covenant. You can't understand what it means for us to be together. Colossians chapter 3, writing to the church at Colossae. The author says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven us, forgiven you, so you're also to forgive. And above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through him. That is the direct picture the clearest, most concise picture of what it means to be a church member. Let me recall that for you really quick in Colossians chapter 3. That we be God's chosen ones. Holy and dearly loved. To become a member of the church, you must have first become a member of the family of God. Entering relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot take that next step of knowing God's people without doing that first. Second is that church members put on Christ-likeness. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We cannot be church members without being those things. I've been in a lot of churches with a lot of people who call themselves members who are the direct opposite of that. And what happens is, is they're the ones who stir up all the trouble in the church. They're the ones who raise their hand and shout during business meetings. They're the ones who divide and conquer among the church people. And that is why those are not welcome in the church. If you are one of those, take heed of God's word. To put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another. The word long-suffering, the word enduring, the word being patient. The word caring for one another. When was the last time that you cared for someone else in this body? Bearing with one another. It means loving people through their yuck, loving people through their ignorance, loving people through their annoyingness. Sometimes church people are the most annoying people on the face of the planet. I mean that lovingly and endearingly, but honestly. This is why we are told to bear with one another. Because I love you beyond all of your mistakes and I'm praying that you love me beyond all of mine. That is what it means to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. Is that we love one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another. Oh, this is one where church members start checking out. I want to tell you something. Lovingly, sincerely. If you have something against somebody else in this body of believers, and you are not willing to forgive, have not asked for forgiveness, have not offered it, 
you are quenching the Spirit of God. You are halting a movement of God. The devil has won, and we ought to close the door. Because if we as a church cannot forgive each other and so model the forgiveness that we have been offered through Jesus Christ, then we have nothing of merit, nothing of worth to stand on. Today at the altar call, there should be people coming and asking forgiveness. There should be people, people be coming and offering forgiveness. We should be finding each other and saying, listen, you said this last week and it hurt my feelings, but I'm forgiving you. Or we should be going saying, I know that I did this to you, but I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Because until we do, God is not going to move like we desire for him to do. Until we come together as the body of Jesus Christ, until we find unity, until we find love for one another, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, we are not going to see people walk the aisles. We're not going to see people saved in our workplace and in our school. We're not going to see a move of God in our own hearts as well as the hearts of our community. You need to understand this thing is that being a part of the church, being a member of the church, means that we love each other through the mess, means that we love each other and forgive each other through all the yuck. It means that we begin to act and do and think like Jesus Christ, because that is what we are called to as disciples. Being a part of a church means we are following hard after Jesus Christ, doing what he has called us to do. Putting on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You know what happens? Verse 15, let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. Things begin to be peaceful. Gosh, guys, listen, when you're in a church where things are peaceful, it's incredible. When you're in a church where people are thankful to be there and for the others that are there, it's incredible. And the word of Christ richly dwelling among us, that's not just from this pulpit, but that's in your own hearts day to day, and that's in our small group week to week. The word of God consuming and saturating our lives, that's what it means to be a church. Whatever we do, in word or deed, doing all to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what we are here for. Charles Spurgeon said, do not go where it is all fine music, grand talk, and beautiful architecture. But go where the gospel is preached and go often. Henry Ward Beecher said, the church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but it's a school for the education of imperfect ones. D.L. Moody said that church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood is to a sick man. We must understand that being a part of the church is what we're called to as a disciple. And it reaps benefits, peace and unity and joy. Reaps benefits as in a voice. It reaps benefits as in a platform to do that which God has gifted you with. It reaps benefits in this way. That you have the structure and the authority of God set up. So that you may reap. And be able to serve him with the gospel. One of the things that is interesting about church is that we often just don't take advantage of all the things that are there. One of those things in particular is something that I find interesting. James chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Is anyone among you suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful, he should rejoice and sing praises. And then it says, is anyone among you sick, he should call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then a common verse, for the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. See, as a, a member of the body of believers, you have people you can call on to come and to aid in your life. 
Next time you're sick, call me. I'll be there. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Next time that you have a problem, call a deacon. Next time that you're in a struggle spiritually, physically, financially, call on your staff. It's what being a part of the believer, body of believers here at First Baptist Church Bristow is, is that part of our discipleship is being around those who are also following Jesus. If anything, we can pray because that's what we're called to do. Reminds me of a man that walked into his pastor's office. Pastor looked at him and said, what's wrong, Bubba? He said, I need you to pray for my hearing. The pastor put his hands on Bubba's ears and prayed, and when he was done, he asked, so how's your hearing? Bubba said, I don't know. It isn't until next Tuesday. You can come to the place of the church to find healing and rest, to find joy and peace, to find unity. That requires a lot of us that are already in the body of Christ, in the body of believers here, is that we make that worth coming to by being a good church member. The last thing this morning, knowing God's people comes through small groups, comes by way of church membership, and those are easy steps to take. Next week, start going to a small group. That's a great next step. If you're not currently a member of First Baptist Church, then you call me, come to my office, talk to me after service, say, I want to be a member here. I want to plug in because this is where God's calling me. That's a great next step. Current church members, doing what God has called us to as the church, that's a great next step. But here's one in closing that I think a lot of us miss out on. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual... Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted, and carry one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. One of the things that is greatly missed in the church of today is the aspect of one-on-one discipleship, mentorship. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are mature, you who have walked with Christ, you who are a disciple of Jesus Christ, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. That is discipleship. That is discipleship, is you coming along someone else and leading them in the manner in which they should follow Christ. So who are you discipling? Church member, you may have come to a small group. You may have perfect attendance for 40 years. There's some of you that probably do. You may be a member of this church and that there's probably blood and sweat on some of the bricks and wood around this place that belongs to you. You've been ingrained in this church for a long time. I would guess that if you're to that point, there's a good chance that maybe you're not discipling anybody, but just rather holding on to those two things. As far as our church goes, one of the things that we are developing and working towards is not only just doing small groups better, not only just doing church membership better. We've already made strides in those areas. But in all, making disciples better. 
That's what we need to do in the church. And it's going to take every one of us. It's not a program, guys. Listen, it's not a program. For those of you that come out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it's not discipleship training on Sunday night. That's not going to cut it today. What it's going to take is it's going to take us who are maturing, coming alongside those who are not, and leading them in how they should follow Jesus Christ. Who are you doing that with today? If the answer is nobody, then that's your challenge now. Who around you? Mom, dad, are you discipling your children? That's where discipleship starts, is in the home, by the way. That's God's design on the whole thing. You have a disciple that is going to live with you for 18 years. There's no better discipleship program than that. Who gets to watch you in your best and worst and how you follow Jesus. Who gets to hear you preach to them and tell them all the things of the word of God. Who gets to relay how they are dealing with their relationship with God back to you. That's discipleship built in for 18 years. Parents doing it? Are you discipling your children? Are you discipling your co-workers? Maybe your best friend? It amazes me how many Christian people have best friends who are lost and yet they never discuss the word of God, they never discuss church, they never discuss anything of Jesus Christ with their best friend. It amazes me. I said discipleship relationships. All you got to do is plug in Jesus. Church, we got to know God. And by golly, we've got to know his people. In the right way, in a biblical way. In a Christ way. Let's pray together. I know there's different hearts and different situations. I know there's people all across this auditorium with a different take on the Word of God this morning. I know that there may be unbelievers among us I would call you today. You can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot join in the membership and the fellowship of this church until you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Do it today. We're going to have an invitation, but that doesn't mean that that closes. That means that from now on, you have been given an opportunity to come receive eternal life and to step into intimacy with God Almighty. And that invitation is from now until you don't have it anymore. Until you pass from this life or your heart hardens towards it. You may be here this morning. Maybe you've been attending. Maybe you've been just sitting in a pew. It's time for you to step up, step out, and join the local body of believers here. Not for number's sake, not for some title's sake, but so that you can honor Jesus Christ in your decision so that you can follow his leading and obedience so that you can get plugged in and be part of the body fulfilling a purpose church member are you fulfilling your purpose or are you just sitting in a pew week by week you've checked your box and you're good maybe God's calling you to deeper talk more about that next week, but maybe God's calling you to deeper. Or church member, maybe maybe it's that you can't stand somebody else sitting in this room. Why would you ever, why would you ever dislike the bride of Christ? You need to find them today. Whether it be in this invitation time or after service, you need to find them and say, listen, I'm sorry. Listen, I love you. Listen, I forgive you. Listen, I want to grow in this place with you. 
Maybe you need to spend some time at this altar working that out this morning. Praying and asking God to give you a heart of forgiveness. Nobody knows a heart of forgiveness better than God. And then Christian, church member, those who are mature, who are you grabbing in your life? Around you to disciple. Parents, are you discipling in your home or is that something today that you need to begin to work on and, and maybe give me a call this week and say, Pastor, how do I do that in my home? Or maybe, maybe there's a friend of yours, maybe there's a coworker that you could just start meeting with and discussing the things of God. Maybe it's somebody else in this room. Maybe it's a new believer. Maybe it's a... a somebody who's joined our church recently. Maybe it's somebody that you need to grow in a relationship with. Maybe that's the place where discipleship's going to happen for you to start. All I know is start it. Any plan when it comes to discipleship is a good plan. And no plan is a bad plan. Let's know God's people like we ought to. Father, we thank you for your presence, for your word this morning. God, I pray that in this time that you would draw our hearts to response. You've given the challenge. For the unbeliever, you've called them into life. For the believer who just attends, you've called them to join. For the church member who just sits, you've called them to serve. God, for those who are against each other, you've called them to forgive. And God, for those who are mature, you've called them to disciple. God, may we be faithful and earnest in our responsiveness. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?